Hey, Jillian Pensavalli. Hello, Patrick Hines. Fam, we are here with a really exciting thing. I'm really, really excited to share this with you. So our friend Julie Murray dropped the first episode of her new podcast, Media Pressure, yesterday. Mm-hmm. And Julian and I were given an advanced uh, copy of the first episode yes. in preparation for doing this interview. And... I, I don't even know what to say. And I, I said this to Sarah Attorney because it's on Sarah Attorney's network, Voices for Justice Media. Yes. It's a game changer. Right. Like it, the way it's done and for Julie to be telling the story, like for victims' families to be at the forefront of the storytelling, it's excellent. In case you don't know who Julie Marie is, she is the older sister of Maura Murray, who is one of the most well-known missing persons cases of our time. Mm-hmm. Maura vanished in 2004 in New Hampshire. She was driving north. We don't know why she left her dorm yeah. in UMass Amherst earlier the day and we don't know why she was where she was when she vanished but she vanished uh, truly without a trace Mm -hmm. we've covered it there was the oxygen documentary that we covered there's countless podcasts like specifically about the case but also like hundreds of other podcasts that have covered it as a one-off and Julie at Sarah's urging decided to take the narrative back to tell the story the way she thinks it should be told This episode is full of bombshells. If you know the case, you are going to hear things you've never heard before, things that are true revelations Mm -hmm. in the case. I I mean, I was was listening to it at the office and Steve at one point was like, saw my jaw on the ground. He was like, what are you listening to? I was like, it's Julie's podcast. Yeah, it's excellent. I cannot recommend it enough. Uh, This interview is really fabulous and Julie is just such a great person. So listen to this episode. Go subscribe to Media Pressure right now wherever you get your podcasts. Amazing job, Julie. Amazing job, Sarah. Just like, a thousand million percent across the board. It's so good. Thank you. And also thank you for making this. Yes. Hi, Julie Murray. Hi, guys. Hey. So here we are. I'm excited. Julie, thank you so much. I think what you're doing is incredible. We'll get into it, but this is like an honor for both of us. Well, thank you. And thank you for giving me this opportunity. It's it's amazing that... um, People have just heard the trailer and they think that it's it's great. And so that, you know, makes me so happy. Yeah. You know, I, I was DMing with you a little bit yesterday because you gave us the first episode of the podcast to listen to. And, you know, I was saying to you that I listen to everything. I'm one of those people who is just obsessed with podcasts in general. So I listen to every podcast that comes out. And I've launched a bunch of podcasts. I make a bunch of podcasts. And I am truly, truly blown away by Media Pressure, your podcast, both just in what you're taking on and from the the little bit I know about you personally, what a big deal it is for you to be doing this. But beyond just the emotional part of it, technically, how well made the podcast is, mm-hmm. how incredible it sounds and the storytelling, how beautifully written it is and paced. And it is just like from start to finish episode one, my jaw, I was listening to it in the office on headphones. And my husband at one point was like, what is going on? <laughs> and I took stock of my face and my jaw was like on the floor at some of like the revelations in episode yeah. one. So congratulations on what I think is going to be a masterpiece of a podcast. Yeah, it's a game changer for sure. That's the word I keep coming back to. It's a game changer. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. You know, you guys, well, Patrick, you know me, I'm awkward and introverted. And (laughs) (laughs) um, so this is a big step outside my comfort zone. And I had no idea what I was getting into when I told Sarah Turney, who's, you know, this was her vision Mm. to give victims and family members a platform to kind of take back their stories. And I immediately said, yes, absolutely. Before knowing 
what goes into it and right. all the time and effort. And that on top of how emotional it is for me, because, you know, it's me telling my lived experience and going through this tragedy. And so, yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> you know, it's so funny because I know obviously your sister's case and I know what you've shared about your family, but in general, you're pretty private. And so it was kind of, I had chills listening to new information just about your life. And, mm-hmm. you know, for example, the Christmas when you saw Mora last, you had been gone for a year. And that really, I've, my sister is in the military. She was in the military for 20 years and there would be years that, that I didn't see her and we'd see her for a holiday. There's a moment that you talk about you know, having been in South Korea for a year and then you're back for Christmas and that's the first time you saw your family and Mora in a year. And then you said, and it would be the last time you would see her. And it really hit me. And so, I, you know, I'm curious about when, you know, you talk about the precious memories that you have that are just yours and how so much of your family story has been taken and shared with the world sort of without your permission. And I'm just curious about how hard it was for you to decide what to share mm-hmm. and then actually giving up those last few precious memories that you have. Well, the main thing was I've done hundreds of podcasts, as you know, so many interviews, all different formats, vehicles. And every time I do an interview, you know, I'm telling my experience and and the facts of the case, but it always goes through somebody else's filter. Mm. Right. And so this was an opportunity for me to put it through my own filter. And so I felt comfortable sharing some of those really vulnerable personal memories because it gives a better look into both my sister Mara, whose humanity has been stripped away in all yeah. of this coverage, and also a glimpse into what it's like to be me. And so in yeah. order to really tell that story, I had to open up a little bit and I had to get a little personal and a little vulnerable because the point is to shed some light on who we are as humans. And you can't do that if you're not willing to be vulnerable. So that wasn't easy, <laughs> um, but I'm glad that I did that. And I'm glad it had the effect that I was going for mm. in you saying that. So I appreciate it. Did you find strength in that and being vulnerable in order to take your story back and take that power back? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's another reason, you know, being able to put it through my own filter for the first time ever was so impactful. It was so therapeutic. It was cathartic. And, you know, the analogy that I like to use is it was like resetting a bone fracture in yeah. that it hurt in the process, but it was necessary for proper healing. And that's how I feel right now. It was like, yeah, that was really tough to go through that and share those vulnerable personal memories and also sit across from my dad and my grown brother's weeping, like all mm-hmm. of us just crying. Yeah. Um, but at the end of that, you know, it was this big sigh of relief. So it's, it's been amazing. 
One of the ways, one of the many, many ways I'm sure we're going to find out that you succeeded in your mission here (laughs) is that Mora's personality really comes through. You know, I have sisters and I have also been a brother taking my sister to the airport to go off for a long deployment. And you tell this great story about how you were, (laughs) I mean, to me, you're really tough. You're the CrossFit queen and you're, (laughs) you know, like I think of you as just like really tough, but you're describing being in the car and sort of getting teary eyed when, when Maura and your dad were taking you to the airport and Maura says to you, are you really crying? And I (laughs) felt like I could really hear her voice and like with that top knot and like, I could like really get her personality and in all the podcasts I've listened to about her and all the, you know, the own coverage that we've done on the case, it was the first time ever I felt like I could hear her voice, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And that's what I I tried to sprinkle in some of the language that she would use. So, you know, I have a ton, hundreds of letters that Mara wrote me and I reviewed some of those and I tried to use some of the language that she actually used and, you know, calling me bitch cakes and, you know, (laughs) just like sisterly (laughs) smack talk. That's, that's really who Mara was. And that is definitely something that I miss the most. Yeah. What was the conversation like with your dad and your brothers to get them involved in this? Were they apprehensive? Well, my older brother, Freddie, Freddie Jr., he's never done any type of interview, maybe like a few news, local news interviews early on, but he's not been in the spotlight. And he's, again, we're all introverts, so he doesn't want anything (laughs) to do with that. Not to say that he's not very active in everything that goes on. You know, we talk about what leads we're pursuing and approaches that we're going to take. But for him to agree to sit down and say, you know what, I'm part of this story. I feel comfortable enough with Julie. I trust her. That was huge. And then my little brother, Curtis, he's just a sweet angel. And, you know, I every time I listen back to some of the episodes, and I've listened to them hundreds of times, mm. you know, to edit and, you know, oh, yeah. nitpick myself to death, <laughs> which is not healthy, yep. um, as, as you guys know. Yeah. But yep. I cry. We all do every... it, Julie. Welcome. Welcome. We yeah, all do exactly. it. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I could have done that better. Why did I say it like that? Oh, my yeah. God. Um, but. Every time I listen to my brother Curtis, he, you know, he's just so authentic and so raw. It just makes me cry. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, my dad, you guys know my dad. It was hard to put guardrails on him because he has so much energy and so much he wants to say. So in his interview, I would have to hit pause like every minute, like, Dad. Stay on track. <laughs> I can't put that in the, the podcast. And he's like, I just want to get it off my chest. And so, yeah. at, you know, towards the end, I was just not hitting pause. And I'm just like, let him go. None of this is going to make it. But yeah. he he also hasn't had an opportunity to, you know, tell his full story and experience. And um, it was great. You know, I sat with my dad for eight hours. Wow. Yeah. It must yeah, be so, so therapeutic have- for all of you. It, it it really yeah. was. Yeah. You know, and, and we go through the whole roller coaster of emotions. You know, we're laughing, we're crying, we're serious, we're talking smack and everything in between. So it was just good to bring us together and have this common goal and project that we all contributed to. And so for that, I'm I'm super proud. 
You definitely say right at the top that you're not a podcaster or a professional storyteller. It's not true. Not podcaster true. Podcaster is not something you become. It's something you discover that you are. <laughs> and you you are. It, podcasting, I think, is the most glorious art form. And Julie, like, y- you have a real gift for it. And one of the things I was going to say about it is the storytelling there's so, so much to Maura's story and your family story and more than I can even imagine that you all know just amongst yourselves. Yet your script, at least for episode one, is so clear. It's so concise, but personal. And I'm just sort of wondering how you were able to take it and cut through the noise and like decide what was really important to focus on and in what order. Yeah, that that was tough. But what I will say is I'm a much better writer than I am verbal communicator, which is kind of ironic <laughs> considering <laughs> I'm, I'm the host of season one. Um, so the writing and kind of putting the outline together and picking out what type of stories would really shed some light on who the people that are most affected by this tragedy really are, that was easy. The hard part yeah. was like you said, okay, where do I start? And so I opted to start kind of in the middle. Like, so I start on February 9th, well, 10th. Um, and yeah. then the other episodes will, will take us all the way back to the beginning and then kind of sort of go chronologically, which is really hard because, you know, I'm, I've been in this for 20 years. So there's so much to cover. I could easily have filled up 50 episodes. Yeah. But I had to pick out what was most important and pick out, some of the things that had just been shrouded in misinformation and wild speculation and kind of drilled down on those, as well as trying to make it an engaging story. So, yeah, the writing part, that was a piece of cake, but it was <laughs> wow. kind of whittling it down to, okay, how do I keep this flowing? And mm-hmm. so that that was hard, but I enjoyed that part. The part that I did not enjoy was recording in the closet by myself, you know, because <laughs> yeah. I just recorded yep. in my closet by myself. And, you know, there's so many mess ups that I did. <laughs> and oh, I yeah. I honestly never want to go back in that closet again. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's almost um, like talking to a new parent, you know, because I like having a kid. I'm like, oh, right. These are the growing pains of like, these are the things you like about parenting. Yeah, it's a little like, oh, the closet era. The right, closet yeah, yeah, yeah. era, of course. <laughs> but even, but Julie, like it's so easy to follow. It is so accessible all of your intentions come through, but also like little things like my nerd heart, like going into the phone filter while yes. you're talking about something. There are little moments like that that just make me go like, yes, like yes. this. Yes. It's, it adds to the storytelling without taking away from your writing and you and you putting your you can hear your heart and soul in it. But little things like that, that really does so much to the listener. And especially just for me, who has a lot of I have a lot of trouble keeping focus on things that aren't visual because of my ADHD. And it's little things like that that keep me totally locked in. So you have it. You're doing it all right. Like you're ticking every box. Oh, thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, The other thing about the podcast is that it is full of bombshells. Like, I hope this question comes out the way I mean it. Like, are you so in the case that maybe you're not aware of like what we would perceive as a total bombshell? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I live it every day. I mean, I, I have so much in my notebooks in my head that I just assume everybody knows. And there yeah. are some things that I do drop in the podcast that no one's, I, I know that no one's ever heard. And there's still so much that I'm not able to share just because, you know, of course, I would never want to jeopardize my sister's investigation. And yeah. that's sure. not something that is going to be worth, you know, getting a few extra clicks over because yeah. my intentions are to find my sister. And so that's was, you know, the goal with this. And so I didn't want to cross that line, but I was happy to share some some things that I haven't shared before. And also some people that have never spoken before. I was just yes. going to say two words, <laughs> Kate Markopoulos. Yep. And so people have kind of run her across the, the coals online because they said she hasn't come out and said anything. Mm. Well, that's not true because <laughs> every time that I talk to Kate, and I've been in contact with Kate for 20 years, wow. and she t- she answers every question that I have ever had. She may not remember everything, but she's very forthcoming. And when I approached her about the project, she was like, absolutely. And then she put a caveat. She said, you're the only person that I would do this for. Right. Yep. And so having that access to these people that are so critical in the story, not only helps tell the full story, but it also helps kind of eliminate all of that speculation about Kate. Like she's not yes. this person that's unwilling to help my family. She's very yeah. willing and always has been. I just didn't feel comfortable like making a tweet about, hey, just got an email from Kate, you know. Of course. I'm not yes. the person that'll do that. But when she agrees to sit with me knowing that this is going to go public, I mean, I was just so thrilled about that. I think that is so important because it speaks to this sort of level of entitlement that people who are consuming this content have like it's really none of their business the conversations that you're having with people and if they want to speculate who and how and why and what it doesn't matter and it's really not fair to the people who are involved so i think it's really amazing how you've handled it and i think it's very telling that she is speaking and she's speaking to you yeah yeah and there are other people that I reached out to who just totally ghosted me and mm. no response, no respectfully decline, you know, no acknowledgement of my request. They just totally mm. ghosted me, which is yeah. odd. And I, I talk about that in the podcast a little bit. But to have Kate's trust in this was huge. Yeah. So one of the things I thought was so interesting was you said that, um, and I didn't know this, that Cecil Smith had taken, he was the first officer on the scene and he had taken pictures. And you say in the podcast that the pictures had never been released, but you've seen them. So I'm wondering if you could talk about A, how you got access to them and B, if there's anything that stood out to you in the pictures. Mm. Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I knew that there was pictures taken the night of on February 9th. And I had asked law enforcement multiple times, hey, can I see these pictures? And it was always like, you know, maybe later, now's not the time, you know, blah, blah, blah. And if you follow the case, you know that my family's relationship with law enforcement was a little rocky there at the beginning. And my dad sued the state of New Hampshire to get the case files released. And, you know, nothing was released 
under FOIA. But I was able to build some rapport with law enforcement and kind of gain their trust. And there was one meeting where, you know, I asked them to see the the photos and they agreed. And so I, I saw those photos. I saw seven photos. They weren't the actual photo. Well, they were printed out photos on paper. So it was, yep. Oh wow! Yeah. it wasn't the best quality, but I was able to see the content of what was in them. And to be honest with you, my question back to law enforcement was, why haven't these been released? Because yeah. what I saw in the photos wasn't anything that I believe would jeopardize the case. And it was kind of more of the same, well, you know, people online and the trolls and, blah, mm. you know, the whole yeah. The whole spiel that they give. So no one else has ever seen those photos, not even anybody else in my family. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And there was nothing in them that stood out to you as like important? Well, there was a a couple things (laughs) that stood out. Um, One was the way that the tire tracks went into this sort of ravine, I call it a ditch, and then kind of backed out at an angle. So it looked like the car went into the ditch and then it backed out. But in the photo, there's a clear piece of it where it shows road debris. Uh-huh. And so that makes it, to me, it, it uh, I believe that, that it was from the tires kind of rotating, spinning up the sand and the salt on the road. So yep. there was it's evident from the photo that the car was able to be extracted from that ditch, which leads to the question of, well, why didn't she just drive away? Because obviously the car was drivable. And we found out on Friday after the disappearance that my dad started the car right up and he could move it a little bit forward and backwards. So that leads down a whole nother rabbit hole, but that was interesting. The other thing that was interesting was some of the photos looks like they were taken from within the car. Yep. But the responding officer said he never gained access to the car that night. And so I asked law enforcement, I'm like, these pictures look like they're in the car. Like, no big deal that my sister's missing. It doesn't matter whether you access the car or not, but they're the story that they told was they did not access the car until the next day. So I'm yeah. like, well, who cares? Right. So yeah. I don't I don't get that. I just wanted to ask, I don't know if this is even the right time, but um, what do you think could have helped like early on in the investigation if it was done differently? Yeah, a lot of things. I think the relationship with law enforcement should have been more cooperative at Mm. the beginning because my family had a lot to share and they didn't, law enforcement didn't even interview me at all. No, zero interview. And so I'm like, I'm her sister. I just talked to her on Saturday. Why, why wouldn't you interview me? I could have told you that she never wore the gloves that you're using for this situation, you know? Exactly. And, you know, I was down at Fort Bragg because I was in the army. So I wasn't able to come up for an interview, but I had a phone. You know, yeah, right. yeah. So that was a huge missed opportunity. The other thing is, and something I talk about in the podcast is this idea that you need to wait 24 hours to report a missing person. Look, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that makes me crazy. It makes no sense. So when you look at Mara's case, you've got an out of state vehicle abandoned on the side of the road in a dark location on um, a freezing cold night. Yeah, it was like 20 something degrees. 
this young woman is not here and we're going to just go to sleep and wait on it. I mean, that makes no sense to me because that window of opportunity was totally lost. The first search for Mara wasn't until 36 hours later when the trail's cold. So from the, from the jump, it, it was just not taken as seriously as we would have liked. Right. One of the other things that you were able to see that I don't think the public has seen is the search warrant for the car being towed. I mean, this was the moment where my husband looked at me and was like, what are you listening to? Because what you learned from that search warrant was that there were several items in the car, seven, I think you said, that had Maura's name on it. So they knew early on who the likely driver was. To me, the even bigger revelation in that moment was that there was a person's name and phone number written on a piece of paper who lived near Loon Mountain, which is one of the areas where Maura was searching for rental properties. And you found out that the police never contacted that person. So how did you get to see that search warrant? And I believe that you said that you did make contact with that person. Can you just sort of talk about that? Yeah, well, in researching and fact-checking myself for the podcast, because, you know, even even though I've been in it and I can rattle off timelines and numbers and facts, sometimes I forget some stuff. So I interviewed an attorney that helped my family early on, and his name is Terry O'Connell, and he gave me his whole box of files. And so I'm just looking through the files and I come across this warrant that I have never seen before. Oh, wow. And it just blew me away. And so I'm going through the warrant and this this warrant was executed on Tuesday and when they were trying to identify the driver. And so there's a ton of stuff listed and some of the items I don't talk about in the podcast just because it's not appropriate. Yeah. But one of the things was a handwritten name and number. And I'm like, well, of course they called this name and number. Of course. Right. Of course. Right. Of course. And so I dialed the number. I'm just like, well, I'm just going to dial this number. So I dialed the number. It was a landline. It was disconnected. So then I got some friends involved. There was some, <laughs> some, <laughs> some background reports. And so I was able to contact the owner of the number on their new number, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I'm just like, hey, I'm Julie Murray. Uh, This number associated with your family was found in my sister Maura's car. Do you know why? And they were just so confused. And they told- Did they know the case? they, They knew the case, but not at first when I said I was Julie Murray. Yeah. Um, and then they're like, we didn't know that. No one's ever contacted us. <gasps> so that person contacted his parents. And again, they are like, no one's ever called us. And I was just blown away. I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because, because they you know, had a rental property at Loon, right? Loon Mountain. Yeah, well, there was a number of weird coincidences. And like I say in the podcast, I'm not saying that there's anything nefarious or suspicious about this, but, you know, they should have been contacted by law enforcement. Right. At the very least. Yeah. yeah. At the very least. Yeah. And so they, yeah, they owned a condo at Loon Mountain, which was in the direction Mara was traveling. They were from our hometown of Hanson. They had ties to law enforcement. They had ties to Burlington, which was also a location Mara was looking up. So it was just like so many different coincidences, maybe. Um, and 
I just didn't even know what to do. I just kind of sat there for like an hour, like, what is, what, what is this? <laughs> and nobody has any memory of knowing her or ever having like a, had a conversation with her? Well, that's the thing. They did have memory of her. Oh, they did? They knew Mara. Yep. How? They like actually knew her in real life. Yeah. And the guy that I talked to was my classmate in middle school. Like oh, that we my knew the family. God. And we played softball together. And, <gasps> you know, my family's all sporty. So we played every sport. So from a small town, if you're a, an athlete, you yeah. know all the other athletes. So he knew exactly who I was. He knew exactly who Mara was. And it was just, yeah, it, was, it was just so frustrating that there was that huge missed opportunity. Because, of course, right. talking to them 19 years later, they're not going to remember right. anything. But of if, course. Yeah. if they had been called you know, that that week or that month or even that year, we yeah. could have at least said, okay, this has nothing to do with it. But now right. it's like, well, what if? Well, maybe yeah. it's still like this grayness to it, which is what I talk about in the podcast a lot. It's like everything has this like dark gray cloud because nothing is, is mm-hmm. cut and dry. It's interesting because it, it makes me think about your TikTok. So your TikTok is amazing. Mm-hmm. If you're not following Julie Marie on TikTok, you must be. You have to. It's, you know, very much centered around the case and your sister. But one of your recent TikToks, you were saying that you were, like, happy to report that your relationship, your family's relationship with, with law enforcement was drastically improved based on this sort of email exchange. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, You know, you don't have to give any, like, super personal details about what was exchanged. But, like, what changed? A lot has changed. So there's been change out in personnel at the attorney general's office and the investigators. So some of the older investigators that were on the case for decades or at least a decade are now retired. And so they've got new fresh eyes and new ways of approaching these cold cases. And I met with them back in November, the head of the cold case unit and the assistant attorney general, and it was the most cooperative, collaborative meeting that I've ever had. And so as part of my follow-up, I, of course, being a military person, I documented every little little thing that was discussed and put it in writing. (laughs) So we have a paper trail. Um, And I was following up on some of those action items. And the chief of the head of the cold case unit responded with the most empathetic email I have ever received in 20 full years. Wow. And I felt like a human. I felt like wow. a person. I didn't feel like a case number. Yeah. And that just blew me away because that is all that we've ever asked for. I'm not asking or demanding, hey, I need to see this and you need to answer to this. I just want to be treated with empathy. And of course, you know, empathy is huge for me, and I talk a lot about it and how there's a lack of it in true crime, yeah. as well as in my dealings with law enforcement. And mm-hmm. so to to receive that was just so comforting, and it makes me happy because I think this case is solvable, and I do want to contribute and help law enforcement and not be so adversarial, and I think that's where we're going with this new set of staff up there. Will we hear from law enforcement on the podcast? Unfortunately, no. Um, I tried, but... Yeah. They're in New Hampshire, and it's <laughs> yeah. not their thing, really, so... Will we hear from Bill Roush? I did consult 
and ask him some questions, but you won't hear his voice on the podcast now. Yeah. Got it. How many episodes can we expect? I hope, please say 100. <laughs> <laughs> it, it could have easily been 100, but it is, it is eight episodes, and then there'll be a bonus episode where I'll answer listener questions, which I expect may turn into a couple episodes because there yeah. are still so yeah. many questions. And some of the... The content that I'm presenting for the first time is going to, you know, hopefully get people talking. And so I'm happy to answer any questions that I can. So eight formal uh, (laughs) episodes for season one, and then we'll see where where it goes after that. I just have to say, you know, as a member of like a, the true crime community, I'm so grateful to you and Sarah for for doing this. The um, families, you know, getting involved is so wonderful. And I mean, I speak for us, but I'm sure for other creators that like, if there's anything, any way that we can be helpful, if there's anything yeah. we can do, we are here. We want to help. We want to amplify your podcast and and the story and, and the new information any way we can. Well, thank you so much for that. And can we just take a minute to talk about Sarah Turney? Yes. Oh my God. I was Sarah hoping Turney. we would. I was about to <laughs> yes. bring her up actually. So yes. Yeah. So a, a little backstory. I did a TikTok on this, but you know, Sarah approached me and at the time I thought that it was a crazy wild idea that she was saying, what do you think? Don't answer right now, but think about <laughs> it. What do you think about doing a podcast and telling Mara's story? And I was yeah. just like, What? You know, (laughs) that's not my thing. Had you not considered ever making something of your own for for this? Not really, because I'm so much still involved in the investigation part of it. Because, you know, you have to realize Mara is still missing. And we're still actively trying to find her. And so that's been kind of my general focus. And that on top of trying to get awareness out there by social media and Mm -hmm. and doing other podcasts. But I I think, Jillian, you know, in the back of my mind, I thought, yeah, it would be cool if I could tell the story. But I never thought of how that could happen. Sure. You know, I I couldn't just buy a microphone. I mean, I guess I could have just bought a microphone and just recorded but it was Sarah who gave me the confidence and gave me the idea. And it was her vision that was like, I think what's missing in true crime is the family perspective and Absolutely. the perspectives of the people that knew the victims the most. And like I said at the beginning, their perspectives are filtered. Yeah. Um, and so this was a way to to get the unfiltered version and so I agreed, and she taught me the ropes because I had no clue what the hell I was doing. <laughs> you know, I didn't, I didn't know anything at all. But she taught me, and she kind of gave me the confidence that I could do it. And uh, here we are. Yeah. yeah, she's a force of nature. I remember meeting her um, in New Orleans at CrimeCon like many, many, many yeah, years ago. Yeah, it was the first time we went to CrimeCon, and she was just— yeah, she was amazing, even then. Just like a quiet, sweet soul who like is just bursting at the seams to tell stories and to help families and to yep. get victim stories told, you know, in the in the right, proper, empathetic way. So it is a great joy to see you all entering the world of podcasting and doing it like on your own terms and in your own way. And it's, you know, if episode one is any barometer of what is to come in this series, it is 
you know, it, it, these things happen at the right time, I think. And it seems like you waited the right amount of time to really be able to process it and tell your story exactly the way that you want to. And exactly, it's just tremendous what you've done. I, I'm truly mm-hmm. in awe of it. Oh, thank you. I mean, you you say that Sarah is sweet and, you know, unassuming, yeah. but she's tenacious. She's a badass. Yeah. <laughs> relentless. And yeah. so to be able to team up with somebody like her who... And she's incredibly intelligent um, and driven. And so I'm just so happy that I've been able to make those connections with other family members who are doing or trying to do the same thing that I'm doing because it makes you feel like you're not alone. Because a Mm -hmm. lot of the times I'm by myself going through police logs and whatever and just feeling sorry for myself. And then (sighs) you've got someone like Sarah Turney come on and like, we can do this. We can use this opportunity. We can, you know, leverage social media. And now we yeah. can make a whole network dedicated yes. to giving families agency back to their stories. Yes. Yeah. I was just thinking that I'm hoping that this will inspire more families to to tell their stories in this way. Because it, podcasting is such a powerful medium, you know. Yeah. And, you know, this Mars is season one. So, yeah. Right. Media pressure has a, a lot more in store. I heard yes. that when you said, like, this will be season one. I was like, oh, I know what that means. I yeah. I know that. Julie, I wanted to ask you, do you have just thoughts about how, whether you're a creator or a consumer of this genre, for lack of a better term, like how to keep true crime ethical moving forward? Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you might. Yes, I do. So when I was looking at this and feeling the effects of the misinformation and the re-traumatization and, you know, all that goes into other people taking somebody's story, somebody they've never met and telling it, the main thing that I saw was there's a lack of empathy. So that's what was the catalyst for me to start the Engage with Empathy campaign. And I made this quick little um, acronym called CARE uh, that for me, it was what's missing in true crime. And so centering the victim, avoiding mm-hmm. harmful speculation, researching responsibly, and engaging with empathy. I think if we use that as a guide as both creators and consumers, mm-hmm. we're going to make this space a little bit better for those suffering. Yeah. Yeah. That is like so well put and so <sighs> easy to remember. You yeah. know what I mean? Not necessarily... Yeah like easy to immediately put into practice, but it's like, it's a practice we can practice every day and get better at. Yeah, in all aspects. Yeah, and even if you don't know what the C-A-R-E is, it's still care. Just care. Yeah. Yeah. Just be caring. Yeah. Just just yeah. care. Just be a <laughs> yeah. decent human is really all we're asking. Just be decent. And, you know, I have not heard a single argument against why we shouldn't be empathetic. Yes. Right. And yeah. if, if you hear one, let me know, because to date, you know, there's no reason not to. There's absolutely yeah. no reason. Yeah. I wanted to ask you a little bit, like, to explain that. Maybe it feels like it doesn't need explanation. But when you say be empathetic, do you mean be empathetic in the storytelling or be empathetic in deciding whether or not to reach out to a family or sort of like, can you explain it? Like, give us a little bit more bullet points on exactly how to be more empathetic. Yeah, I mean, it's just the simple answer is put yourself in somebody else's shoes. So put yourself in my shoes and how I feel when you decide to post some content that is not victim-centered or that is a half-truth or Mm. that 
doesn't do anything to further the case. So I'm very big on if this information as unflattering or, you know, bad it may sound, if it furthers the case, I'm all for it. Because guess what? Mara's still missing. So who am I to say we shouldn't talk about XYZ? But if it's something that has no journalistic purpose, i.e. rumor, speculation, and does nothing to further the case, then what are we doing? Mm -hmm. Why are we talking about that? And the simple answer is because it's salacious and it mm-hmm. is going to generate clicks mm-hmm. yeah. because people want to be entertained by my tragedy. And that's yeah. just not acceptable. And what you're seeing now in true crime is people are rejecting that type of content. And I'd love to see that uh, yeah. because the story should be about furthering the case. If you're covering a case and it has nothing to do with getting to answers, then it's just hurting people. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Yes. Uh, well, Julie, thank you for this interview. Thank you for making time for us. It is a great joy to get to talk to you every yeah, thank year you so or a couple of years. And <laughs> it's amazing to hear your dad's voice, just hearing his voice in the podcast, because it comes with no introduction. It is just mm. so like... That man is a force of nature. You say he's like so energetic and I get energy just by hearing him speak. So it's, you know, really amazing. And and thank you for sharing your story. Yeah. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to talk about it. And I'm just hoping that other people enjoy it as much as you do. And, um, you know, like I said, it's not perfect, uh, but it's true. It's the truth. Yeah. It's a game yeah. changer. This is a turning point. I'm saying it. I, I firmly believe it. So thank you so much. I, I'm, I know whether it's sitting in the closet or digging up things that were hard to talk about, it was, it was a lot for you to put out there. So thank you for sharing that because I really think it's going to sh- be a major, much needed shift. So thank you for, for doing that. Yeah, of course. I think so too. Yeah. Thanks, Julie. Thank you. Thank you. All right, bye. Oh, fam, thank you for listening to our interview with Julie Murray. Go, go, go and subscribe to Media Pressure right now. I am waiting with truly bated breath yeah. for the next episode. Yeah. I, you know, Julie is such an intensely private person. Mm-hmm. The amount of personal information and stories that she's sharing here yeah. is a real uh, testament to how much she wants this story to be told. She, As she said in the interview, she believes this case is solvable. Yep. So go subscribe, go support, share it on your social media. I really believe in this podcast and I'm I'm so, so happy for and proud of what Julie's done yeah. here. Again, it's a game changer. I think we're going to see a lot of, a, a big shift yeah. moving forward that needs to be happening. Yeah. So this is really incredible. All right, you have your marching orders. Go subscribe to Media Pressure right now. And just lastly, just like wrapping up with some more like calls to action. Remember, like Julie says, engage with empathy. Yes. It's not that hard. And if you hear something and it'll jog your memory about something new, like go to mediapressure.com for more information and just ways you can submit anything. If you if something that Julie said went, oh, wait a minute. Like Julie said, she's hoping someone will hear this and it will jog your memory about yes. something. So if that's you or if you want any more information, go to mediapressure.com. That's where you can reach out and contact them about nicely, of course, with empathy. Of course. Um, if you have anything more to add 
And the first two episodes were released yesterday. And then it's like a weekly single episodes with eight total. And then those Q&A apps, which yes. I'm super excited to listen to as well. I wanted to mention too, follow Julie on TikTok. It's at Maura Murray Missing. She's got 265,000 followers. Yeah, we're two of them. I know. She talks about the case daily. It's yep. just a great place to also connect with her there. So follow her in all the places. Yeah, and Sarah Turney and Voices for Justice Pod and Voices for Justice Media. Just all, they're all out there. So, you know, they're doing good work. Yep. All right, fam. We love you. We love you. All right, bye. 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 